This podcast, Writing for Young Audiences with Danya Ramos and Michael Aquino of Timestorm, was originally published on HowlRound Theatre Commons on February 19th, 2020. See the link in the show notes for the transcript on the HowlRound website and for links to Timestorm and additional podcasts that might interest kids. Adventures in Audio Fiction is supported by HowlRound Theatre Commons, a free and open platform for theatre makers worldwide. The HowlRound podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and HowlRound.com. Hey friends, welcome to Adventures in Audio Fiction. My name is Tamara Kassane. I'm a theatre maker and the host of the podcast Artist Soapbox based in Durham, North Carolina. Although theater is my first and enduring love, over the last three years, my creative work has turned increasingly towards writing and producing scripted audio fiction. First, by adapting versions of my stage plays into audio dramas, and more recently by writing to audio directly as I develop two scripted audio fiction serials. This interview series for HowlRound is part of my quest to learn more about audio drama by speaking with the people who are working in the medium, some of whom have a background in theater and some who don't, but either way, they are knocking it out of the park. I have so many questions, and you may have some too. As theater artists, what can we learn from audio fiction creators? What skills can we leverage to create powerful audio work? What do we need to learn? Is scripted audio fiction an evolution of a theatrical form, or is it its own distinct and discrete form altogether? In today's conversation, we dig into writing audio fiction for young audiences with Danya Ramos and Michael Aquino, the producers and creators of Timestorm. Timestorm is an audio fiction series for children, in which the Ventura twins, Alexa and Benny, travel through time to preserve their culture's true history. The twins visit three continents across the span of five centuries, meeting people who have left their mark on Puerto Rican heritage, all while managing 21st century life as middle schoolers in Newark, New Jersey. Daniel Ramos is the series creator and head writer for Timestorm and co-producer of the Cocotasso Audio Theater podcast, both produced by Cocotasso Media. Her stage plays have been produced or developed by Luna Stage, Writers Theater of New Jersey, Speranza Theater Company, Dreamcatcher Repertory Theater, and Teatro Vivo. She's also the author of the middle grade series, The Seventh Grade Sleuths. Danya is a drama and creative writing teaching artist for the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Michael Aquino is co-founder of Cocotasso Media. He is the audio engineer, sound designer, and composer for Timestorm and the Cocotasso Audio Theater Podcast. Michael has received three Audioverse Awards for composition and engineering. He's also a musician, actor, and teaching artist. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Danya. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks. I want to talk about why podcasting specifically for Time Storm, but I'm wondering if it would make more sense for us to back up and talk about the formation of Cocotazo Media and Audio Theater, because I, I think that that was your entree into the podcasting medium. Back in about 2015, 
uh, Danya had turned me on to uh, a few shows, a few audio fiction shows, uh, like the Black Tapes. And mm-hmm. uh, I was also listening to um, Welcome to Night Vale. And I was just really becoming very interested and fascinated by the medium because, you know, it included theater, which is what I really had a passion for, uh, and audio, which I really had a passion for. And for Danya, you know, she she really felt the same. It was really theatrical and it was very interesting. And, and it kind of aligned with what we were interested in. We just began listening to a lot of it. And in uh, that next winter, we decided we were going to do something called February Album Writing Month, where musicians typically write 14 songs in in 28 days. But instead of writing 14 songs, what we decided we were going to do was write 14 really short audio fiction pieces um, that kind of tied together. So we we did essentially two different stories over the course of February, and we had our actor friends coming in to, to record these lines. And it was just a really great way to kind of learn how to do it. It was like a boot camp almost. Like We just mm-hmm. really kind of went for it. And because of that, we were just like, this is so much fun. You know, it's a new way of exploring the passions that we have. You know, like I said, me for audio and Danya with with writing. We were both actors, so we loved doing that too. So it was like this combination of all of these things. And we were like, let's take this a little further. And that's when we developed Kokodaso Audio Theater as a podcast. And we decided we were going to create it as an anthology series that allowed us to really explore more and to kind of refine what we were doing that February and to uh, really kind of hone in on our techniques and what we wanted to do. And and we totally learned so much from that February, but launching Kokotaso Audio Theater really helped us uh, further that practice and to get tighter with what we were doing. Uh, I want to add for anybody who's thinking about maybe uh, starting a podcast, when we did that, those the February album writing month, those we just put up on SoundCloud. So that was the way we kind of shared it with the world. And when we, we moved on to Kokotaso Audio Theater, that's when we, you know, we did the research and found out we wanted to have a host um, that we, we host on Libsyn. So it was kind of also learning that side of it, like how, what is it to actually publish a podcast? And I just want to give a shout out to Ernio Hernandez, who is uh, a playwright who <laughs> took the, the plunge with us in those early days to kind of give us material. I wrote uh, several of the scripts, but he also did several. Yeah. Um, so he was also instrumental in the early days as well. Yeah, I said to him, I said, look, I have this crazy idea. Let's do 14 like really short things between Yumi and Danya and let's let's get this done in February. And he was like, sure. You know, so it was really, it was really kind of cool to to kind of have the three of us get our heads together with a bunch of our actor friends. And we just, we just got it done. It was so much fun. It's fun to have that sense of enthusiasm uh, among artists and friends. I, I find that podcasting as a new medium for me has helped me get back in touch with some of that kind of passion and excitement that I felt for theater and I still feel for it now, but sometimes not not as much. So <laughs> right. it's just nice to have a new adventure with our creativity, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you go from Kokotazo Audio Theater to Let's Do Time Storm, which is a scripted serial audio fiction piece for middle school age children and their families. 
<laughs> it's a little long story, but I'm going to tell it because it actually really deals with theater um, and a crossover. So, so for Time Storm, it started as um, in the theater. I had written a proposal for uh, in 2013 for um, it was for a contest for a theater for young audiences production. It was supposed to deal with New Jersey history. That was the in the guidelines, and so I had I had done this whole proposal, and the idea for the time storm came from creating this proposal because in my research I had discovered that uh, Emilio Carranza, who was a Mexican aviator, he was kind of known as the Charles Lindbergh of Me- of Mexico, um, actually died in the Pine Barrens when his plane was struck by lightning, um, and it crashed in the Pine Barrens and. He he died there. And when I was doing this bit of research that happened early on in the the 20th century, I was fascinated by that fact. And I'd created this kind of other world where Emilio Carranza existed in in what I, I had created in my mind as a time storm. And I did not get that you know, I didn't win that the, the contest. I put it away. Um, and several years later, I was taking a workshop in the city that was specifically for TYA. I personally, in my writing, are, I often write about youth of color, centering uh, stories uh, where they're featured. So I was very interested. I was taking this, this workshop. I brought out this idea to kind of bring it to the workshop. And it, we were doing one of those, you know, writers will tend to say, well, what if this? What if this? And th- the question came up from from the instructor, well, what if instead of this Mexican aviator and New Jersey history, since you no longer have to do that for, <laughs> um, it's open, the, the sky's the limit, what what if it was connected to your own, uh, their own culture, um, these Puerto Rican twins? When I started exploring that as an idea, I realized the story was so much larger than like a 50 minute or an hour long TYA stage piece. It, it wanted to be this really long form story and an audio seems like the right place for it. So that's kind of how it got from possibly being on stage and about, you know, a couple of stories of New Jersey history to being in audio. And we're really, really diving deep into the history and the the heritage of Puerto Rico. It's like an epic, right? So you're working with these epic ideas over a long period of time, and you can't really contain that in a 45-minute assembly for a school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I'll say, you know, both of us come from, from arts education and doing that very kind of, you know, touring theater. And we know how important it is and impactful it is. It's just that for this story, it wasn't the right fit. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You followed it into what it wanted to be rather than trying to make it into what you, like, you know, what you had already experienced as a theater educator. Let's talk about this demographic because, Danya, I know that you have a mystery series for middle schoolers. So you have this TYA background. Can we talk about why podcasts are valuable or could be valuable for kids? Yeah, absolutely. So we're surrounded by technology, of course, and and a lot of the way that uh, children are getting their stories and entertainment are through screens, of course. There are other ways. There are books and, and of course, live, live theater as well. But a lot of it's coming through television and film um, and just other internet content, which is fine and great. But there is something about the, the form of audio that is amazing because it, it, can, it is screen free. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so we've had these great conversations with families and parents who've listened to the show. And they're telling us that they what they love about the show is that they can listen to it together in the car. Some have even said that, you know, they're eating dinner and listening it together. And you know, how amazing is it to know that a family is experiencing the story together? It allows us to kind of really reach a lot further than we can with with a traditional, you know, theater for young audience piece. And, you know, I Mm -hmm. as well, we both have been involved with theater for young audiences for a very long time. Like we both did touring theater, you know, we, we've both been teaching artists. So it's, it's, it's um, a thing that we have a lot of passion for and a lot of, a lot of interest in. And like Danny said, we really love this demographic, this this age of kids, uh, the age that we're, we're aiming for. It's, it's really fascinating to us and we love them. And and I think that in this age group, that's really when you fall in love with stories. (laughs) And if you like find that genre or the type of story that you love, you're just you're devouring it, right? The, these, right. the uh, this um, age range really wants to get as much as they can of that. So it's just really exciting to be able to to write for this age group. And and I will say that uh, in particular with audio, what's exciting as well is that we are creating it with audio and the visuals are limitless. They are whatever the child wants it to be or listener, any listener who's listening. Right. You know, the time storm can probably look like, you know, 50,000 different things to whoever's listening to it, as well as right now, you know, we are not saying what uh, the characters look like. So right. um, um, they could be whatever they want to be. Yeah. And, you know, Don brings up a good point when, when kids watch, you know, a TV show or, or a movie, you know, it's, it's predetermined what this character looks like. And that's, I can ditto what Danya's saying. And just like, it's, it's so, so amazing to be able to put on headphones and just imagine that this character can look like you. And that's huge mm-hmm. for some kids, you know, mm-hmm. this type of storytelling really empowers um, children and asks a little bit more of them, perhaps even just paying attention and listening closely. I think that's something that this is totally my opinion, but is kind of trained out of us as we go through life. We just stop listening because we're so busy looking, you know, not to mention the access that you mentioned, Michael. I mean, not not all kids have access to these live theater events in their schools or in their communities. And so this is another access point for them, you know, to have a entry point into this kind of really intense and beautiful story experience. Yeah. And access is really huge, I think, for for both of us. Like we're really, you know, adamant about making the show accessible to as many kids as we can. And we know not, not every kid has a smartphone and that not mm-hmm. every kid has the greatest access to the internet. But, you know, we try to let kids know, you know, you can you can go to your local library. You can there are other ways uh, of listening to to our show and listening to other shows like us. You know, there there are some really other wonderful shows aimed at this demographic. So given all of that, how do you approach writing for this specific age range? What is sort of your perspective on what they need to hear at this time in their lives? Because it is, I don't know, it's kind of a tender spot. They're not you know, they're not really teenagers and they're not little kids. And it's it's a big transitional time. 
I mean, the biggest thing, like fun adventure, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that, for, for sure, that's like the main thing is that we want to tell a really engaging, fun adventure story. But beyond that, we're, the themes that we're picking are, are really important for this time in a child's life. So we're, we're talking about, you know, independence, what it means to make these decisions and deal with the consequences of it. Certainly family and friendship relationships are huge in our first season. Both of these twins, um, so Benny and Alexa, are those are the names of the main characters. They're dealing with having to keep a secret from their family and friends. And so for them, it happens to be that they are time traveling. But there are a lot of children in this age range who, who might be dealing with something that they're not comfortable sharing. And what does it feel like to keep a secret from someone you're really close to? So, so things like that. And then obviously, you know, identity we're dealing with very specifically in in the show, cultural identity. And Alexa and Benny, um, to be very specific about them, they're they're 12 years old. They're growing up in Newark, New Jersey. Their heritage is Puerto Rican. So both of their parents were born in Puerto Rico, but both of them were born here and grew up here. And that plays into what they are doing. They are very interested about who came before them, what came before them in terms of their own, uh, what led to their identity, their cultural identity. And that's something very specific that I think children who, particularly Puerto Rican children, but any any child who has parents who came from another um, location, who parents who consider another location home, um, but they are very much kind of growing up here. There's a kind of duality of, of my parents have this different life and they connect to the this other land in another way. And I connect to it because maybe I've been there a couple of times or they talk to me about it or I eat the food from there or we sing the songs that from there. But what it means to actually for them to go back and experience it in this other way. So so they get to take ownership of it for themselves um, and, and, and say, this is my relationship with this island that my parents once called home. I can kind of add to what Danya is saying. We've heard, we, we've done a lot of feedback with, with kids in the sage range. And the one thing is um, we, we've taken away is that not only do Puerto Rican kids find, find this so interesting, but kids from all other backgrounds really kind of find the story interesting. And it makes them start to think about, well, what's, what what kind of histories can I find out about my culture? And we hear that a lot. Like it's it's like I wish there's a show for my culture and my heritage, or you know that that I can find out more about historical figures and people that impacted my family's heritage and where I come from. So that's that's been so fascinating to to hear as well. Obviously, the twins know that the island of Puerto Rico, where their parents are from, is part of the United States. But there is a different like. A cultural um, a relationship to the island itself if you grew up stateside. I have an 11-year-old daughter. This age range is alive and active in my home. <laughs> and, uh, nice. uh, go 11-year-old. Awesome. It's, a, it's a wonderful time of life and I'm really enjoying her and her friends. And so it was wonderful for me to hear that voice reflected in Benny and Alexa. And something that I uh, especially appreciated was this 
tug between personal problems and a greater understanding of, you know, the bigger world and some of the problems that are more sweeping and more, you know, painful and problematic for our extended family and for people that we don't even know. And just the struggle that this age range has trying to sort of figure out how to navigate that. And I and I love the way that you manage the struggle of that for these kids in time storm. Well, thank you. That's Thanks, yeah. that, we're glad that that um that landed for you because that was something that we were really trying to find a balance and, 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 you know, really craft it in a real honest way for that age mm. group. So I'm wondering about the expectations that you had before you launched Timestorm. What did you expect or did you have any expectation about how this would be received? And I mean, we've got, you know, a podcast for this younger demographic centering the stories of Puerto Rican children and families. And how did you think this would be received by listeners? Did it meet your expectations or exceed your expectations? What we expected going into this was that we were going to, you know, create a story that is very close to our hearts. And we thought that um, we wanted to make sure we could have it ring true to um heart of a 12-year-old or 11-year-old or 10-year-old. And the, I mean, I think that was the expectation we had. I don't think we had very <laughs> high necessarily high expectations. Of course, we want people to listen to it, but we we knew what we were going to put out there had heart, and we hoped that it would connect with the hearts of those kids. And I think it's been really amazing to see how far the reach has gone with Timestorm. It's being listened to all over the world, and, and we get feedback from kids uh, across, from everywhere, you know, and it's really kind of uh, amazing to hear. And I think that in itself is meeting our expectations. I mean, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Danya, but I mean, that's for me, that's my, was my expectation just to really kind of put out a story with heart that can have a, a large reach. What's interesting is because we had created the anthology initially, um, that was very different. You know, there's a very, like if you're creating a, a, an audio drama anthology, it's a very specific audience and a, kind of a small one too. And it was adults. And that it was, was adults. Mm-hmm. adults. Yeah. 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 I feel like when I, when we were going to do this, I wasn't really sure what to expect. We actually had a kind of interesting launch. We initially launched the first five episodes in um, November of 2018. And we had applied to this uh, really great program called the Google Podcasts Creator Program. And we were accepted as one of the one of six teams, uh, podcasting teams for the the initial uh, cohort. So when we were fortunate enough to have this amazing opportunity through Google and PRX, we realized that we wanted to kind of, we had all this training that we were getting. We wanted to kind of relaunch with all the new skills we had. And so we relaunched in August. And so I I feel like once we relaunched in August of 2019, and we were putting out the entire season, that's when I felt like, oh, okay, this, this, the show is going to have a nice reach. And it has, it has been doing that. And and, um, we hope that it will uh, continue to grow. But that initial, when we first, first put it out, I didn't know what to expect. (laughs) So Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree with that. We had n- no idea what to expect, especially because it was so new to us. You know, we, 
know what to expect when we, um, you know, open a theater show, a, a play or a theater for young audience show. We know, what you know, we have a hundred seat theater. Hopefully we fill the hundred seats, you know, I mean, right. uh, you know, and, but with this, it's like going into without having any kind of clue as to what your reach is going to be and just waiting to see who's going to listen and where they're listening. And, and once it, once it starts coming in, it's just so amazing to see you know kids listening in you know norway and australia and you know spain and and it just it just begins to like you're like oh my god they're listening in this place i've never been to and listening to stories about two puerto rican twins traveling back in time to reclaim part of their lost history it's it's it just it begins to blow your mind a little bit yeah. It's a different kind of a community formation than yeah. I think I'm used to as a mm -hmm. theater maker. How do you create community around time storm, given that people are listening in Norway and Australia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. For us, because we're we're in an audio drama series, but we're also for kids. We're we're kind of like in a few different communities online, which is really amazing. So um, one of the communities that has been really amazing to be part of is so Kids Listen is this grassroots organization that is really advocating for quality audio content for children um, from preschool age up to about twelve, where we're creating for. And and so they have amazing. They have a website. They have really great things, and then a really active Slack channel. And, you know, we're, we're trading resources, getting tips, having workshops on various aspects of audio. So it's been great to be part of that uh, community. A lot of parents on that community with, with children in the various age groups it's, um, as well. Then, of course, online, there's an audio drama community <laughs> that is just mm -hmm. amazing, especially on Twitter. That's like live and active mm -hmm. and just amazing people on there to um, to be part of. One of our missions uh, going forward with Timestorm is to really kind of create uh, an in-person community as well. We've committed ourselves to really developing what we're calling listening parties, where mm -hmm. we're going to um, to either libraries, community centers, schools, playing episodes of Timestorm, like one or two episodes of Timestorm, usually like the first two, and then starting a community community discussion about the themes in it and how you know how it relates to the kids listening and and things in the stories that they can relate to and all that to kind of create a sense of an in person community as well because you know one of the phrases we we constantly hear is that podcasting is so can be so lonely you know creating mm -hmm. a podcast you know is very solitary and and I, we feel like it's really important to be able to get out and to be able to create an in person community as well while that won't be as far reaching as as the podcast itself, it still, I think, really provides this otherness to the um, to the podcast. It creates another community, and it's another access point too for yeah. you know kids who might not have stumbled across podcasts, but they might be in the library. So right, you you can connect with them that way. I'd like to talk a little bit about theater versus audio. So <laughs> my experience has yeah. been that it's you know, there's sort of like they're both fruit, but they're yeah. like apples and oranges, you know, so it's not <laughs> not exactly yeah. the same. Could you talk about the skills you've leveraged as theater artists to make audio fiction and some mm. of the challenges 
related to that? I'll just say a little bit from the writing side of things. So I'm also a playwright uh, and an author, as you mentioned before. Um, But in terms of like the playwriting thing, what's funny is that a few years before I even was like, oh, yeah, we want to try this audio drama thing. I just naturally in my plays started really using sound. Like it just mm-hmm. happened and I didn't, I didn't know what it was about. I wasn't judging it. I just kind of went with it to the point where I was literally like in the stage directions, like the stage is dark and we hear X, Y, and Z. I'm like, wow, I'm really, <laughs> you know, relying on that element heavy. And maybe it was just already in there that, and it seemed like when I started doing audio, there was like this natural sense of like, oh yeah, like I do want to use and lean heavily. You have to, when you're doing audio drama, lean heavily on the sound, music, sounds to tell the story and to convey the action and mood. And so that became really exciting for me because I'd already started doing it in stage. So Mm -hmm. that was fun. I think for me, you know, I have an acting background and I have a, a music background. So specifically with theater, you know, I feel like because I deal with the audio engineering and, and sound design and composition of of the show, I think being an actor really kind of allowed me to understand pace when putting the show together. It's funny, I think obviously like a sound designer, but I also think like an actor and I think about pace and I think about... And now pace is a little different in audio fiction. And I we tell this to the actors all the time. I'm like, you know, we usually act at like 100%. Uh, you know, we dial back your speed to about 85%. And I say that because there's this challenge with audio fiction where you um, don't have the visual to be able to allow your brain to process what's being said. And if someone's too quick or someone's too fast, you really, and we learned this from having beta listeners that, that kids really need a little, and adults too, just need you to slow down just a little bit, just a little bit, but to keep the same intensity and to keep the same intention, but just dial back the pace a little bit. And this allows me, my training as an actor really has allowed me to understand pace and understand, you know, how the layout of, of the show can, how things can flow, you know, and as a musician, you know, obviously engineering, audio engineering and, and composition, uh, it was just a natural transition to be able to use that in audio fiction because I was already doing it for music. So I'm a playwright and an actor, and I initially adapted two pieces for the stage into audio form. So those were my first two projects. And my current projects are writing straight to audio. I'm not using the stage as kind of an intermediary step. Mm. Right. Because I I realized that the translation was not was a little more complicated than I thought. And I think it brings me back to something that we were talking about at the very beginning, having to do with the arc of the piece. There's something very different in the structure of a 70 to 90 minute stage piece than a series that's 10 episodes long and they're each 15 minutes or so. Like the structure of those stories and the narrative, it's very different and it's not a direct translation. So you've got that thing going on overall, but then you have all the little things like how you introduce characters and their Mm -hmm. names and, you know, help them be distinctive so that people don't get confused when they're listening that I 
didn't really have to deal with in quite the same way as a playwright because you can see them. So you know they're different people, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's come up with us in terms of like casting actors. We want to make sure that the voices are distinct. It's really important for that. And so there have been times where we we really love uh, an actor and we say, well, hopefully, you know, it's not, we can't necessarily use this actor for this series um, or a main character in the series because they sound too much like another character but we want to work with them in the future. So that's definitely an issue when, when you're working with audio. You know, like I said, we beta tested this with kids, you know, after we released the first five episodes and before we re-released the, the series, we made sure we had kids listen and say, do any of these voices sound too similar? Because if they do, then we had to make a choice. And, you know, luckily everyone was saying the same thing, like these these voices are are distinct enough where we're not getting confused. So that was that was a relief to us. But yeah, it's a it's a major consideration. So um, you were speaking to um, the the notion of writing kind of a serialized something serialized and how different it is than kind of that ninety to one hundred twenty minutes on stage. Mm-hmm. When so the difference from Kokotaso Audio Theater and the standalone shorter pieces, and when we went to Time Storm, uh, I literally did research and started learning about television production. That was very helpful for me because there was literally, literally, I had to think of structure in a new way. And, um, I think like for playwrights, a lot of times, uh, you know, the form of different plays can just, the, the play will tell you what the, you need, the form needs to be for that play. And I had to go in, I realized that I had to give up and kind of say, you're going to be very structured about this series and the story you're telling. And it has to be, you know, down to the, the number of pages. Like we know if we're getting, if I'm getting past a certain number of pages, we know it won't fit into the target length of of the episode that we want to do. And the other reason it really needs to be that structured, and, you know, and I'm writing outlines for every episode is because we actually have another writer working with us, um, Andrew, who who joined us. He, he lives in Boston right now, um, who joined us. Um, we work remotely with him and he works with us and he is writing from an outline. Um, and so we have meetings and we work together, but we need to really be specific on how we're going to bring the story to life. So that's been very helpful working with like kind of that television structure. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about your decision to bring another writer in and how that process works a little bit more? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned before, we were fortunate enough to be part of this program, this Google Podcast Creator Program. Um, and with with that came some funding that we were able to hire another writer. And he, we actually met him at the Latinx Theater Commons. Um, it was a TYA. Um, they weren't calling it a conference. It was a convening. Convening. That's what they called mm-hmm. it <laughs> um, in Austin. And, and so that was like this amazing, um, I think it was a two or three day convening and we met a lot of great people and we had something called cafecitos, which were just like little breakouts. And we proposed one on telling TYA stories through audio and Andrew, um, you know, came up to us and we just started geeking out about audio. <laughs> audio. And, and so, so we found out, um, that he actually, one of his main things that he does is, um, he writes a lot of TYA. And so we met him, we kept his information, we kept going back and forth. He's like, I want to jump into this with my own stories. And we're like, great, 
nice. It was great to meet you. And then when we had the opportunity to bring on another writer, we remembered Andrew. And so he, you know, he submitted something that he had a piece that he had adapted of his own piece in into audio as a sample. And we were really excited to kind of bring him on. Um, He's originally from El Paso. His strength is in telling um, border stories. And, um, and it was just a really great match. The way we work with him is, so we've had a few, you know, he's in Boston. So if we have meetings, it's via, you know, (laughs) video chats. And we've been able to work, I give him a very um, detailed outline. He'll, uh, you know, write a draft. We'll do a reading of it. Uh, We bring in actors. Sometimes it's cast members, sometimes it's other actors. We sit around the table, we read it, we'll record it for Andrew. And so I will se- we will send him a, a recording of that as well as notes, uh, f- feedback that came up during that, that uh, reading. From there, he'll do a revision and then I'll read it again and give any uh, final um, revision notes. And then we can kind of consider it like ready for recording. We'll go back, back and forth until it's ready. And then if he is available, he will video in and watch our process with the actors, which is a lot of fun, <laughs> which is helpful in case, you know, anybody has a question specifically for him and the script, then he's able to answer it right on the spot. Yeah. yeah and I can say that Danya, you know, she puts a lot of, a lot of work into the, into the show, not only as writer, but she's also the showrunner for the show. So she's doing a lot of the coordination and it has been so helpful to have another writer to be able to help ease that off of Danya a little bit. And to be able to uh, really kind of focus more on the overall scope of the series, which is has been wonderful. And he's like a serious gamer. Yeah. So, so he really like, connects. Like when there, for if, if somebody is not uh, familiar with, with the series, like there are a lot of uh, uh, scenes that take place in a comic book and game store. And and Benny is like, and Janelli, these two friends are really into comic books and gaming. And so uh, it's been a lot of fun kind of also. <laughs> Having him, because both of us love gaming, but we're not really comic book geeks. So, Having him uh, has been really helpful to be able to kind of provide that perspective. Yeah, there's so much to do. And so having somebody to, as you say, kind of take a little bit of that pressure off to generate content. I'm so glad that you're able to do that. Yeah, Yeah, we are. He's really great. So happy to have Andrew on board. Michael, you mentioned the the beta testing. And Mm -hmm. my imagination is just going wild with like what this looked like with kids in the room to do beta testing. Could you talk a little bit about why you did that? How you did that? Some more of the questions that you asked? Part of the program actually required us to, and it is a great requirement to to Mm -hmm. really kind of take what we have already and beta test it. So we didn't necessarily have kids. No, actually, we did one uh, group at a middle school where we got about 10 middle schoolers together. We played the first episode and then we had questions for them, specific questions that we wanted to know that were either coming up in feedback from people that were, you know, from adults uh, that we wanted to ask the kids like, you know. How is the pace? What? How are the characters' voices? Can you f- easily follow the story? Is anything confusing? You know, what do you think of the music? What do you think? You know, so we had very specific questions to ask them that we wanted to know to make sure that what we're doing is working. So we did that with a group, but then we also just had a bunch of solo beta listeners, so kids 
you know, parents of that are friends of ours that have kids in the demographic or that age group, we just said, would your kid be willing to listen to it and just give us some feedback? So then they would listen to it. And then we'd have like a short, you know, FaceTime kind of conversation with the parent and the kid talking about, you know, the, the, the show and, and we also uh, talk to parents, too, which was very important because we understand that while the kids are listening, the parents are also the ones that are the the gatekeepers to to them listening. You know, they're the ones that have the phones, you know, they're right. the ones that control who what they listen to. So we uh, we had very specifically direct questions to the parents like, is this material that you uh, is OK for you to have your kid listen to? You know, nothing was weird, but we just wanted to make sure that parents seemed interested in putting this in front of their kids, as well as, you know, just other questions to make sure that we were on target with the parents as well. So we had those two kind of factions that we had to make sure that we were really hitting. So this allowed us, we took all of this information, we put it in a spreadsheet, and we were able to really analyze the data and really kind of go through, you know, what was working, what wasn't, what we wanted to change, uh, going forward, so that when we re-released this past August, we we were taking all of this this feedback into consideration to make it a better show, you know. And that's, mm. you know, we're, we're we're not doing this just so we can listen to it. We're doing this because we want our kid listeners and our and our parents as well, who are have to listen sometimes because of proxy, make sure they're enjoying it too, you know. And one thing that came out of that too, um, we now for regular episodes we end at um, we have something called listener shareouts, um, and that's where the listeners send in something it's like we have four potential like prompts that you could do you could say like where you would want to time travel to or you could share some aspect of your own family's you know cultural um heritage and so there's like 60 seconds it's a listener you know uh audio piece that memo that's at the end and that's really a lot of fun and that came out of you know understanding that they were interested in like literally hearing themselves on the podcast. Like that was something that was interesting and exciting to them. Um, And then of course that speaks back to the community that we were talking about before. And then wanting to hear their voice, you know, they, they want to know that they're not only physically hear their voice, they want to hear the kids like them, you know, on it as well. Like while we have some actors that are, are younger and, and are in that, the close to age demographic, they want to hear themselves telling stories as well. So that's part of that share out. And that's why it's so important for us to have it because we really love for them to hear themselves as much as they can. They don't want to hear us. (laughs) (laughs) They already have a lot of adults in their lives, right? (laughs) Yeah, they have a lot of adults in their lives. They want to hear more kids like them. One thing um, that we're very excited for is the network uh, tracks that's being started by uh, PRX, and it's launching this this 2020 this year, and it's going to be a network of podcasts for nine to 12 year olds or eight to 12, nine to 13, depending on where it's going to land. But it's going to be that age demographic. And, you know, we're really excited uh, to be a part of that launch where we're one of four teams that are launching the network and we're grateful and so excited to be a part of that. Yeah. And that's uh, coming from uh, PRX. So we're really excited to 
be able to continue uh, kind of being part of the PRX family in a new way. So we're really excited about what what that's going to look like. And genuinely, like the fact that a network of audio is being specifically targeted for this nine to 13 age group is really exciting. You know, the, all the content and, you know, a lot of times um, there are some other things that are out there that kind of span a broader range. And that's amazing and great. But this is really focusing on that kind of middle grade age range. Um, so it's really going to be exciting to see what's coming out of there. And it's going to be nonfiction, fiction, all types of different um, shows. I guess this means at least a second season for Time Storm, maybe more seasons. How far are you planning out right now? Yeah. So the plan right now is, is definitely three seasons. So yeah, so we have two. We are currently in production. We just uh, has finished a nice chunk of recording for season two. So that is that will be launching later in the spring, and then we do have a, a season three all mapped out, ready to go. And and so when we say seasons, we have ten regular episodes, those kind of like twenty about twenty minute um, episodes that follow a single storyline, and then we have mini sods that we kind of add in there. And this this season, we're going to be throwing in some. Inter- interviews with cast, which should be fun. As well as um, a music episode, because rhythm is going to play a big part of this season, season two. And we're going to hopefully do a music episode as well, talking with some of the musicians that are going to be playing in the season. Yeah, so season two will will be picking up about six months after um, season one left off. So we're going to be in 2018 with the twins. Okay. I don't want to say too much about what's coming. I don't want to spoil anything. But but, um, I think we had spoken a little bit uh, before Tamara about there's so much going on in Puerto Rico right now um, in in the recent, you know, even in the past year. And will that be reflected? And there uh, are plans for some things that happened a little closer to our time to be reflected, but I won't spoil how that will happen. (laughs) Right, right. How do you sort of dial in time in this audio medium when you're dealing with the not too distant past and things are still happening to listeners in real time and kind of how you toggle back and forth? And then you also, of course, have things that happened in the very distant past as part of the narrative as well. So that seems complicated, and I'll be really excited to listen to how you manage that. Yes, Thanks. thank you. It Thanks. is it is complicated. I just want to add, actually, about this, that you bring it up, because we are talking about contemporary events, that um, another big key thing is the characters are dealing with, on the state side, they're dealing with what happened after Hurricane Maria happened in 2017. Um, so a hurricane hit Puerto Rico, in case a listener um, aren't aware of what happened. So it was very devastating for the island. And what we experienced here um, in New Jersey and in, in New York with the artistic community and just the, the Puerto Rican community in general and, and the broader community in general was a real rallying um, coming together to help the, the residents of the island. And of course, island residents themselves were also doing a lot to help each other in that time. And so um, even since then, there's been a lot that has happened on the island. And we we are really committed to sharing that what is actually happening on the island. We have a page on our main uh, website, our Cocotazo Media website, that is dedicated to just 
to Puerto Rico. Um, we have links to, you know, uh, some, some audio that explains the situation that happened with the hurricane that's happened, mm-hmm. um, with all these other events with since the then, with yeah. the earthquakes. Right. Places where if you want to learn more or if you want to help in any way that you can access that information and, and help out as well. So that's, that's there too. We want to make sure that we are able to, to spread the information as it happens. So we're constantly updating that page and that's very important to us as well. If you're just interested in checking that out or checking out what else we have going, we have the Cocotaso Media website. We have two different websites, the cocotasomedia.com, which has all of that information Donia just mentioned, as well as uh, if you wanted to hear any of Cocotaso Audio Theater, uh, we have two seasons out of that. And we also have the timestormseries.com website, which has uh, Timestorm on it in all of season one. Thank you both so much, not only for the work that you do, but for the conversation today. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you, you. Tamara. Thanks, Tamara. This has been great. Yeah. If you would like to continue today's conversation, please visit HowlRound.com and follow HowlRound and Artist Soapbox on Twitter and Facebook. A big thank you to the staff at HowlRound who make this show possible. Our music is Spring Idol by Penny Miles. Check out the show notes for links and for more information. Thank you.